to Reflections of a Savior, a podcast here with Josh Hill, Alex Cowan, Chris Mock, and myself, John Wiggins. Uh, we are going to be talking about the, the book of Titus, and it was obviously a letter written from uh, written by Paul to Titus, a, a young pastor, and uh, you know, kind of the background here. Basically, Paul was released from house arrest in Rome. He went to he went to Crete, started some small works in major cities on the of the island, and left Titus behind to finish organizing the work that he had started. And we see that in chapter one, verse five, it says, "Grace and peace from God the Father." That's not what it says. Verse five says, "This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you." Uh, so. The purpose of this epistle is to urge Titus to accomplish this task, um, or the task, of organizing and kind of creating an administration for the church, these small churches uh, scattered around. So uh, I believe one of you guys are up first uh, in chapter one. I think it might have been, was it you? Yeah, when I'm reading this, I'm struck by the thought that what Paul's going to do, he's going to reiterate a lot of things that he said to Timothy. After all, Titus is a pastoral epistle, the same as First and Second Timothy. And, you know, I need to be told things twice. Like, I can't think of the first, I can't think of the last time I put the trash out the first time my wife asked me. I can't think of the last time I washed the dishes the first time my wife asked me. It's usually the second, the third, or the fourth time that I need to be told, right? And I think Paul understands that something as important as the church, it needs to be told and told and told and told again. And what we're going to see in Titus is we're going to see the importance of pastors in the church, who um, who are able to pastor, what are the qualifications for pastor, and the importance of these pastors in preaching sound doctrine and rebuking um, unsound doctrine. And um, we see right there, as, as John read, that the, the reason why Titus was left in Crete was that he might put in order... Um, Put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Here we go. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And as pastors... Is that all? That's all. Sorry, I went on a little rant there. (laughs) But hey, as pastors, let's not forget that, that we are here to teach sound doctrine and to rebuke unsound doctrine because what we're going to see as we walk through Titus is a church and a people that are living in unsound doctrine. And Paul is sending Titus to put the house in order. And you can see why... Paul needed to write this letter to Titus because it's a tough situation. Like he's not going to First Baptist Church, whatever. He's going to a rough area and a rough place with rough people. Um, I I read somewhere that a lot of the people on this island were like former Roman soldiers who were mercenaries for hire. Like these are some rough people that Titus is having to engage with. Look how um, Paul says even their own prophets call them liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. 
I mean, who wants to go and pastor that church, right? <laughs> could, you imagine, could you imagine if next Sunday I, I stood up in church, hopefully whenever we have church, and I stood up and said, hey, guys, I feel like I've been called to go and pastor a church. And they're like, well, what are the people like? And I'm like, well, they're, um, they're always liars. <laughs> they're evil beasts and they're lazy gluttons. A lot of people would say, well, don't go. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine like day one trying to rebuke a mercenary that was a Roman soldier? <laughs> and not only that, Paul double downs on, doubles down on it right after he says that. And he says, this testimony is true. <laughs> exactly. And I think when I look at my own life, there's, there's, a, there's a selfishness in my life that would want to completely avoid this situation. Mm-hmm. Like when I think of going and pastoring a church or pastoring here at Skyland, I love pastoring here at Skyland because our people aren't like this. Mm-hmm. Our people are loving and welcoming and caring. Do we have problems? Of course we have problems. But this is not how you describe the people of our church. Mm-hmm. And if I was to ever go to another church to pastor, there's a selfish part of me mm-hmm. that would want to go to a church that was filled mm-hmm. with lazy gluttons, evil beasts, and people who always lie. And I don't know, Paul has a love for the Cretans. Although mm-hmm. he's saying this about them, he knows that somebody like Titus needs to go because what they need is the gospel. I and think- they need to be as he says, rebuked sharply. Yes. Uh, which all the more reason not to go. Yes. <laughs> so. And it's so, you know, we, we, we look at language like that and we look at things that Paul talks about with regards to exhortation and rebuke, especially sharp rebuke. How does that work in the modern context? Repeat that question again, Josh. How do you, in other words, he's saying, how do you sharply rebuke someone today? I mean, because yeah. obviously. I mean, with the, with the, now granted, I think we need more and more churches. I think that that is the ultimate call of what a church is supposed to do is to plant other churches. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the main things that we're about here. But with a church on every corner, mm-hmm. how do you sharply rebuke someone when they can just. Church hop. Church hop and go somewhere else. Well, not, not to mention that, like, I mean, it's, uh, um, how, in this culture, in the climate of this culture, there's that the thought of a sharp rebuke is seen as something immoral, almost because sure. you're, mm. even if it's biblical, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you could sharply rebuke someone, and it could result in that person getting a hearing from their small group, and then division in the church, and and you know, and like simply because oh, that pastor's over the top. Like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're uh, seen as unloving. Mm. Right. Um, because it's judgmental. seen as the pastor being over the top, not the sin being heinous. Right, yeah. right, right. But, but I think it's important, like, either it was Second Timothy, First Timothy, one of them where Paul was talking to Timothy about, you know, this is how you interact with the different age groups. You know, when you come to an older man, you, do, you don't come to him as though he's your age and you're just sh- shouting him down. You encourage him as a father. If there's an older man who's in sin, you come to him, and obviously you address that, but you do it in a way that's appropriate for the person that you're speaking to, and you do it in a way that's winsome, and it's always with the goal of restoring someone. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, sure. that, and that's, that's the goal. And so I think, yeah. I think the problem is it's kind of like a, a parent. Now, I don't have kids, but I've been a child, so I understand how this works. It's like with a kid, you don't need to, a lot of the times in the moment, just unleash all your feelings and emotions when they've done something wrong, Right. Because you may say some things that you might regret later. Um, and I think it's maybe the same way with this, is that you don't need to just see someone's sin and be ready to pounce. But be someone who is strategic in the way you approach these I have things. a question. What does the word reprobation mean? 
of repro reprobation. What, where are you seeing is that, that? Does that mean like punishment? Sorry if I've stumped like, everyone. Uh, oh, like reprobation would be like the, punishment. The, because I was about sorry. It, it it would be the opposite of of grace received. Yes, that's exactly. I was about to yeah. say church discipline is always about restoration and not reprobation. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to make sure I had that final word. Yeah. Uh, what what, you're, what you're trying you to communicate. To know so that you can have the alliteration yeah. and not use another word. <laughs> I heard that in seminary, but I wanted to make sure yeah. I was right. The no, church discipline is all yeah. about restoring and yeah. not about punishing. Yeah, what you're trying yeah, to communicate yeah. is valid there. It's yeah. not about kicking somebody out of the church. No. It's about helping somebody see where they're wrong so they can be a more fruitful member of the church. Yeah. Right. And so often, um, you know, because we are so passionate about rooting out sin, and that's something that is necessary, mm-hmm. we can take that passion and amplify it and elevate it above our concern for people. Mm. And and that can cause us many times to potentially be, to use John's phrase, over the top, um, or what even might seem like over the top, because we're so concerned for the sin issue that we forget that we're dealing with a brother or a sister. And I think that, Paul's going to instruct Titus right there in chapter 2 some ways to help this. And he said, yeah. have older men and women work with younger men and women in the church, build relationships with them, show them what it looks like to be a godly man or a godly woman, and instruct them and have these relationships so that when the younger person starts to go astray, the older person can put their arm around them and sort of rebuke them yeah. in that way. And that's another one of those joys of having the multi-generational church. And it's why we feel so strongly about that is so that our church can model that in a healthy way. When we think of Mother's Day coming up, look at the the call there to women in the church in chapter two, verse three, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So a healthy church is going to have older women in the church having relationships with younger women in the church and praying for them, caring for them, and showing them what it looks like to be a godly woman. Yeah, and that that call goes to everyone in the church Mm -hmm. of all generations, even just right after that, that you're saying is show yourself in all respects. This is talking about everyone of every age group and Titus included um, to be a model of good works in verse seven of chapter two. Um, And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech so that you're not condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. We talked, I think, a couple of weeks ago about older men the spiritual grandfathers, fathers and grandfathers. There's a story that as I was driving home, I forgot to, to mention, but I think it fits in here when we talk about older generations. When I first became a Christian, there was a man at my church in Glenrothes called David Balfour. David Balfour was one of the founding members, probably in his late 70s now. He's taught a home Bible fellowship for as long as I can remember. And um, one of the most godly people you will ever meet. And always had a smile on his face, sang in the choir, the most gentle man. When I became a Christian, he phoned me up. And he said, Alexander, I need help. Because people in Scotland call me Alexander. He said, Alexander, I need some help. I need you to come to my house. I need you to help me cut down the bushes in my backyard. So go to his house. It was like a weak project, right? And then years later, I began to understand that he never needed any of it actually cut down. 
he got me to come up to his house and cut down all these bushes so he could spend a week with me talking to me about scripture and reading through scripture with me. And that was his way to spend time with me. And I still remember the conversations we had. I still remember the things that we talked about. I still remember the way that he prayed for me and how much respect I have for him to this day. And older men who are listening to this, like you, the impact you can have in younger men's lives is just incredible. Yeah, just get them to all come to your house and do free manual Chop labor while you share the gospel. Chop down trees. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And then I, I love right after that, you get in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, just this super clear picture of all these different elements of the gospel. Um, in verse 11, uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from lawlessness and to purify himself for a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And Paul writing there to Timothy saying, all this needs to be done because of these truths. Because this is true, this, we believe these things, and this is what impacts changing people's lives. Absolutely. And if you look at that, it ended with um, a people who are his own possession who are zealous for good works. Well, contrast that with the end of chapter 1, which describing these people, they are unfit for any good work. Mm. So the idea is is that when they're in their sin, they're unfit for any good work. But when they come to know Christ and they're redeemed through what Christ done, they become his possession. And then they are zealous for good works. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah, it's that, that new creation yep. uh, aspect of the new birth of becoming a Christian. There really is a tangible difference in the lives of people when they come to know Christ. Yeah, zealous for good works, also connected with verse 7, which said, a model of good works. Um, but yeah, that's uh, uh, it's kind of two pictures, pretty, you know, back-to-back, chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 3, have a strong, you know, uh, time when Paul is, is uh, just walking back through the gospel, what Christ has done, uh, how that is significant for those who don't, uh, who, are, who are not believers uh, and and bring them in to uh, uh, to to being regenerated by the Holy Spirit and saved and all those things. So, chapter three does it. Uh, I'll read those verses. Uh, he says um, uh, it, it talks about our part in it, our sin. Uh, verse three, he says, uh, "For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, envy, hatred, hate, hated by others, and hating one another." But that's one of those buts, like in Ephesians 2, when, you know, uh, um, we see there. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He uh, saved us, not because of our works done uh, by, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration mm. and renewal of the Holy Spirit, mm. whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace... Uh, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Mm. Uh, that that is uh, uh, just another picture of how Paul is is just constantly pointing us back to the goodness of the gospel, um, Christ's saving work, uh, his ability to redeem us, his ability to forgive us, and um, his ability to uh, to 
pour his spirit in into our lives, the Holy Spirit to fill us. Um, and uh, so, yeah, see another example of that. Yeah, and, and just throughout this book, and John, you said this before we started, that, you know, there's just this recurring refrain of good works in Titus, and uh, there's this smaller refrain of sound doctrine. And it's really like Paul is just saying, you need to believe correctly, and you need to do what is right. And the Christian life is really that simple. Um, and I think so often there's a, a lot of people, when you talk about even just saying the word doctrine, they, they think it's, it's too maybe you know, lofty, it's too high, it's, it's not down to earth, that you're trying to be too brainy. But doctrine is so important. And I, maybe it's because I'm a Bible nerd, I don't know. But when I study doctrine, when I read the Bible and look at the truths that are revealed about Jesus and about God, that brings me joy in it. I get excited and there's, there's a passion about it that I have. Um, and that I see in the lives of other people, not just myself, but you guys and people that, you know, I, I do Bible study with here at the church. Um, to see that passion about doctrine, I think, is, is a mark of a, a believer, a mature believer, is somebody who not only isn't afraid of doctrine, but loves it. So it come, because it comes from a desire to understand why you believe what you believe, not just know that you believe it and believe it itself. Yeah, and uh, when John read there from chapter 3 talking about the gospel, and the, ne the next words there are, um, these sayings are trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Mm -hmm. So we are people who insist on the gospel. Like, we are people who are insistent about it, constantly declaring it. It's the heart of everything we do. It's the heart of our church. It's the heart of our message on a Sunday morning is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the heart of our podcast. Yeah, well, and it's going to be the fuel for good works. That's what, yes. he, that's what he's going on to say there exactly. uh, in, in that verse is uh, uh, that this, this kind of preaching is going to produce good works, mm -hmm. uh, the, the kind of preaching that is gospel-centered and um, uh, is, is going to, if you insist on these things, uh, it will be so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Six, six times, yeah, he's talking about good works throughout, throughout the whole book here, uh, or letter to Titus, and, and, and it's obvious, you know, these works aren't saving works, but they're uh, the works of the saved, and, and, and people, who, like, we go back to James and, and see what James and Paul, you know, were talking about when he talks about faith and works and so forth, uh, uh, but it's obvious that, that faith, um, we have a faith in Christ that, that does, that, that works. I mean, that, that, uh, that moves us to action. And, mm -hmm. and so uh, it's not a dead faith like James spoke of. Um, it's, uh, uh, and it's not a saving faith. I mean, it's not a saving work um, but, uh, that gets us saved. But, but it's, um, uh, it's by faith alone in Christ. And that faith alone in Christ is going to produce, always produce, if it's true, genuine faith, uh, works. Absolutely. And, and the f it, it's a faith that is proved by the works. You know, it's a faith that if it's not working, we should be questioning whether or not it's a faith that is real. You know, um, and so often, you know, I think you see really well in these passages in Titus how he, Paul ties the two together in a way that they can't be undone from each other. Yeah, the truths of the gospel lead to a changed life, which leads to changed character, which leads to good works in that life lived out.
Well, listen to this uh, verse 9. It says, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and, and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. That's a pretty harsh ending, right? Uh, we wrap this up, uh, Paul says. Um, uh, you know that guy <laughs> at Cretan, maybe, or whatever, uh, who's giving you that hard time, who, you've, who you've, you've, you've talked about this. You've worked through this with him multiple times, and he's, he's uh, still quarreling. He's still ro- causing dissension and division in the church. He says, listen, just... That's harsh, but that's that's what he says to do, right? Uh, um, I don't know, John. Seems a little over the top to me. <laughs> it, it would today, right? It would today to some to think uh, that it's that it could be that it could it could be even the right thing to do to do that. Yeah, you know? but it demonstrates in a very strong way how important unity within the church is. Mm-hmm. The fact that dissension and quarreling is spoken of and, and dealt with so harshly should tell us how important the church fathers felt about unity in the church. Because it's the complete opposite of how the church is supposed to look. Yeah. Yeah, getting, getting stuck in the minors. I mean, get, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just yeah. I, I think some, sometimes that, that's what I think he's telling us right here. Paul is uh, saying to, to, to Titus that there's, there's some people that are going to major in all the minor issues uh, that are really not uh, the essential issues and, and, and it's going to result in, in just foolish controversies, you know, I mean, and, uh, you think about, I mean, I, th- I think about, um, you know, I, I, I've not experienced a lot of controversies in the church, you know, because I've been here at Skyland Baptist Church and we don't, there's just not a lot of that going on, but I would imagine that, um, uh, other, other churches, you'd probably look at some of the big things that they, really have issues with and you're going to be like really it was that like the color of the carpet or was it the was it the new decor on the wall that really caused the controversy and split a church? i mean but it's it happens oh yeah right? it literally happened there's a guy uh me and alex actually had class with him together and this was not a church he was at but a church in the same town where he was uh that literally the church came together over the decision of the color of the carpet red or blue and red won, and so the people who wanted the blue carpet left the church to go to another church, and that church, these people who wanted blue carpet went to the other church, and that church's carpet was red. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. That's, uh, but a, a house divided falls, and what Paul is saying to Titus is, if, you are, if there are people who are constantly causing division, then you're not focusing on mm. on the goal. Yeah. You're spending all of your time firefighting arguments over the color of the carpets, mm. and you're not putting your energy mm. into making disciples and reaching the lost. Yeah. And mm. um, as harsh as it might sound, mm. yeah. remove the people who are causing division. Yeah, this, this isn't a church example, but I think it functions in the same way. I remember playing football in high school, and there was a guy who was this kind of person, you know, like, me and several of the other captains on the team went to the coach and we're like, this guy's just causing problems, coach. Why won't you kick him off? Why won't you get him off the team? And he sent him off the team for two weeks. He ended up coming back, still causing problems. But those two weeks he was gone. Just one person, taking one person off of a 60-person team, everything was better. Everybody was able to function better because you didn't have that one voice in the background always bringing everyone down. 
Um, and unity is so important in the church that, like Josh was saying, it's so important that there is a harshness to dealing with people who bring disunity. And we all have our sinful, selfish desires that we want things done our way. Uh, yeah, and, and, and what we have to do is humble ourselves and go, the church is more important yeah. mm, than what I want. Also, also though, I mean, even, even in this world right now, it, where we're at, just to, uh, you know, you think about, you know, how does, what does this mean for, let's, let's help, help our people apply it in the here and now is, you know, so, so, you know, what's the, what some of us want to, are, are really passionate right now about meeting together, you know, we've got to, we've got to meet together, you know, uh, um, and uh, if, if we're, uh, we can't wait another week, we, we, you know, and, and, and then some are like, well, we, we, we're trying to follow some, some basic guidelines that are given by medical professionals and so forth, and so it's, and so there's this, there's this difficult time where it can cause division mm-hmm. if we're to let those things become our focus mm-hmm. and uh, and not the the end, which is uh, we're going to be back together again one day soon, and uh, and we're still able to do significant things for the kingdom of God even mm-hmm. now, and uh, and let's just spend this time in prayer and, and in hopes that that that'll happen sooner rather than later, and uh, uh, and let's not say things that would be uh, divisive uh, or negative about someone. Uh, let's let's stay in the brothers and sisters lane, right? In the conversation and be able to talk, and and maybe not agree on everything. Because that's that's the that's the point here. Is you know it is not a it's not that Paul's saying Timothy all the people there need to agree on everything. <laughs> it's it's saying those people who are not agreeing help them to be able to disagree. You know, help them to work through the trivial areas, but teach them these are not the trivial areas. These are the doctrine areas, and they're not they're not up for debate. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, so I think I think it a good word to say. Hey, you know, even our our people right now can apply this by saying, Hey, I, I'm going to show grace to the people who who are who who are in in my mind not not getting the right information uh, in this moment. You know, and whatever side that is, that may be the side that's, that's uh, thinking we should, we need to quarantine for another three months, or, or that may be the other side who's saying we should have already, this has all been ridiculous, and blah, 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 you know, so, so I, th- I think, you know, maybe a, a thought to, to guard against um, either one of those sides. Mm-hmm. Have your opinion, lovingly share it, and know that we're all working for what's best for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. and we're putting the the gospel and the mission of the church over our opinions. That's right. Well, that's it. Is that our uh, conclusion there? I think uh, I'll, I'll um, close us out with a thought. You know, um, we'll, we'll read the ending to kind of close us out. How about that? Uh, it says this. Uh, last few verses here, last three verses, um, or two verses. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all.